our souls have a center of balance. There is some truth that keeps us balanced, that keeps us able to withstand any pressure from either direction. There is a truth that will keep us grounded and rooted to endure anything that we are going through. What is the center of balance? I used to coach T-ball and Little League, and I used to do this drill as they're standing in the batter's box, and I would stand alongside them, and I'd, I'd push them either from the back or the front, and their job was to find their center of balance so that they weren't easily tipped over. And the more stable they could be in the batter's box, the more effective they were going to be in a consistent swing. And I think the same thing exists for our souls. We oftentimes find out when we are off balance, and there is a massive disappointment. I, as a re recovering performance alcoholic, I guess you could say, or performance-aholic, failure hits me really hard. And over the years, I've come to find that I was seeking intimacy with my dad through performance. Sons want to hear three things from their fathers. I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're good at fill in the blank. And I had no doubts about number two and number three. That I, knew why he was, I knew he was proud of me, and I knew why he was proud of me. What I didn't know is in my subconscious is that put the pressure on to keep performing. And what I really desired from my dad was intimacy. I really desired that heart-on-heart -heart type stuff, and I didn't get that from him. I didn't even know, I guess, subconsciously I wanted that. It wasn't really present in my mind that that's what I wanted, that that's what I needed. And over the years, as I continued to really be devastated by performance failures in uh, and, and work and things like that, and the, and the reason I was a workaholic was I couldn't accept failure. And coming to the end of the day, if I didn't get a problem solved, I had to stay until it was fixed. That was because my identity, my validation, came from success because I felt the only way I can get intimacy is through success. And so it took a long time to shake that. I was continuing being taken off my center of balance because I didn't realize what was taking me off my center of balance. So as I've been focusing on center of balance and the fact that Jesus loves us, and our justification in him, not based on performance, but really based on he loves us because he loves us. That's his character. The more I've been focusing on that, the more I've been recognizing such a stability in my soul. And there aren't as many highs and lows as often because now it's more stable. So here, here's an example of how I think we get thrown off balance. And if you're, not everybody's really performance-based like I am. It's just kind of the dynamics of how I grew up and how I sought attention and validation. But when I get kudos or when somebody praises me for a job well done, for me as a words of affirmation person, that feels really, really good. And as soon as I get the kudos and receive it as part of my validation, as part of my identity, now all of a sudden the pressure's on. Now I have to do that and more. And the more I succeed and the more I get recognized for it, the more I think I have to keep turning up the velocity. And at some point I crash or because I'm exhausted, I can't keep up with that. Or I fail, I do something wrong and I get the opposite of kudos and praise. I get criticism. 
And if my center of balance has shifted from Christ's love for me onto performance, success, if I say I am a good programmer or I am a good father or a husband or a good whatever, fill in the blank of what your what your talent is or what your skill is or whatever. If you place your all your soul's weight and all of your validation on that skill or success or talent or looks or whatever, as soon as that starts to be shaken, you overreact to that failure. It almost devastates you or it really shakes you at the core. And and this throughout my career and throughout my life, you know, whether my my desire was to be recognized through baseball in high school or college or recognized through computer programming and successes with coming up with new ideas and products and things like that. I didn't really know that that's where I was placing my identity, but I could recognize it when the when the failure came. I could recognize it by my reaction to the failure or my reaction to the to the criticism. And recently, when I wake up in the morning, I kind of recite to myself, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We long for unconditional love and acceptance. I think the human default is to seek that. Well, it wouldn't be unconditional. We seek conditional acceptance and affirmation. And the only stable thing for our souls is for an eternal being to eternally approve of us unconditionally, whether we succeed or we fail. And so now really I am preaching to myself when I get kudos for something at work I do well or kudos from kids or the wife or whatever. When I get kudos, Holy Spirit has been faithful to immediately in my mind or close to immediately is recognizing yeah, but that success didn't make Jesus love me anymore. Or that failure doesn't make Jesus love me any less. And that center of our soul's balance really seems to free us. And as I focus my heart more and more and my identity more and more and my validation more and more on the idea that Jesus loves me and loves me so much that he died for me and shed his blood for me and suffered for me and lived the perfect life for me. The more I focus on that, the more it helps. Now, this is where I think we have to have a high view of Christ. If in our minds, Christ is just a concept or just like another person, the big guy in the sky, whatever you want to say, if he is small in your eyes, that love will not fill your soul. If, however, we meditate on the idea that he is the most powerful being in the universe, he is the most absolutely loving and compassionate and affectionate being in the universe, he is eternal, he will never perish. If you take to heart what scripture says about this all-holy, all-loving, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent God, it fills your soul. But we have to preach that to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves who God really is 
in comparison to everything else. There is no God like our God. And there's something that Tim Keller has brought out in some of his talks that I've listened to is, is we long for the praises of the praiseworthy. If we have a particular skill in a certain area and we have a role model or we have a hero in that particular area, if that person called you out as being good at what you do, I mean, let's use an example. Uh, like, let's say you're, you play basketball and Michael Jordan sees you playing pickup ball on a, on a playground, on a court somewhere. And he says, man, you got skills. How does that make you feel when one of the all-time greats calls you out for being worthy of praise? But if you're a senior in high school and a little elementary school kid who's a little bit annoying, praises you the same way with the same words, it doesn't have the same impact on your soul. And so in us, built in all of us, is this desire to have someone who is praiseworthy, someone who is famous, someone who is just very amazing, praise us. Because now our stock has gone up. Now we're really worth something because somebody who else who is worth something recognizes us. And this is where having a high view of Christ is super important because if we have a low estimation of Christ in our minds, if he's just another person, then his thoughts towards us as spoken in scripture don't fill our souls because he's not praiseworthy in our minds. But if the truth of scripture sinks in and the Holy Spirit is doing that deep work of convicting us and also just illuminating to us, that Christ is the most amazing being in the universe. The Father is just the most loving and amazing being in the universe, and the Spirit is, is communicating that to us. All of a sudden, our hearts are filled. And when we know that God has agape love for us, that that, that praiseworthy entity in the universe, the most praiseworthy entity in the universe, gave his life for us, our stock has gone up and that love will fill our souls. And I think this is kind of what John 15 is talking about in a certain way. There's, there's the justification of Christ that, that fills our souls. And, and Jesus says, abide in my love. I think there's two meanings there. I think the less obvious meaning is abide in my love for you. As Jesus tells us of his love, Greater love has no one than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. As he tells us about that, I think we first need to soak in that. And out of the overflow of being rooted and grounded in that love, as Ephesians 3 says, that strengthens the inner man. That strengthens our hearts. So that we don't go pursuing all these other things for validation. The greatest being in the universe validated us already by laying down his life for us. We can't get any higher valuation than that. I believe it's in 1 John where John says that we love because he first loved us. If we have a hard time loving somebody, then I believe it's because we don't 
value his love for us high enough. And if we don't have that love for us recognized, and if we're not rooted and grounded in that, there is no overflow towards other people. There is no power to love others. If we don't recognize that level of validation, we're seeking that validation somewhere else. And we're spending our energies and our time seeking that validation from performance, from acceptance, from other people. But if we know we're validated and we are eternally validated, then we can rest. We can stop spending our energies elsewhere, spending our time elsewhere, and now we're freed up both emotionally, physically, time-wise, even financially, we are now freed up to spend on other people, spend our emotions, spend our time, spend our money on other people because we've already been satisfied. Our souls are now full and that frees us up to love others. And then that's where I believe then Jesus means the second part in John 15, to abide in his love, abide in type of love he had for us, then acting that love out towards others around us. We see needs that are around us and we meet those needs to show how the Father loves us. And so really we're, we're imagers. We are, we are telling the story of God's character. We are manifesting and showing people what the Father is really like and what Jesus is really like. But we can't do that. If we have a low view of Christ, if we have a thought process where we have to keep his rules and he's more of a, a judge than he is a loving father or a close, close friend. So if you have a hard time loving or forgiving, really look at uh, or focus on those passages that talk about his love for you, but don't stay there long because I, I think we can spend so much time in this idea of self-care that I think we just stay self-absorbed. And I think it's Galatians 5, 5 and 6, that says that, that really the growth is faith working through love. As we love others, we experience Christ. As we love others, Jesus lets us experience what his service to us was like. And he says it's more blessed to give than receive. If you're like me, you probably haven't practiced that very much. And sometimes it can, it can just seem like soul doesn't rejoice much. But when you practice love, not out of obligation, not out of your own efforts, but when you practice love, knowing that the author of love is living in you, and giving the, you the power to overcome your shortcomings with his love. Now, loving others is just a way of learning Christ. Now, loving others is a way to experience fellowship with him. But this takes momentum. Even preaching Christ's love to yourself takes momentum. It's not like your mind says it and all of a sudden, aha, your heart gets it. You have to preach it to yourself. You have to get yourself in front of the scriptures. You have to get yourself in front of sermons. You have to get yourself in front of worship music to let those words soften your heart over time. It's, it's a momentum thing. It's a persistence thing. 
but it's not necessarily an effort thing, right? It's not, not all up to you, but the Holy Spirit works to will and to do in you. As you're being persistent, as you're working, it's actually God working in you for his glory to show others around you what his character is like. So our center of balance needs to be in Christ's love for us. Our center of balance can't be in our successes. Our center of balance can't be identified by our failures. Our center of balance needs to constantly be, Jesus loves me because that is his character. He chooses to love me, not because of anything I am or anything I do. It's because he just chooses to love me. I can't fail at that. And that that's one thing I remember. Um, I was just wrestling and struggling late one night. It was like midnight. I just, I got out of bed and I just went on a prayer walk around my hometown here. And I kept asking this question of who am I? Uh, well, I'm a programmer. Well, that didn't satisfy my soul for validation because there's, I know programmers better than me. I just can't sink my soul on that or set my soul on that. Well, I'm a father. Well, I fail at that because I, you know, I blow up with the kids every once in a while and I just, I can't set my identity on that. Well, I'm a husband. Well, Lord knows I fail at that as well. And then spirit gave me this thought. I am loved. And it hit me. The Holy Spirit opened up my heart to believe that I can't fail at being loved. His love does not stop because his love is based on his character. God is love. And we need to soak in that. And until we can preach that to our hearts and our hearts resonate with that, until that happens, we cannot love other people. Uh, there's one of Paul's epistles where he says, as beloved children, go and do these things. If we feel like we're abandoned children, if we feel like we're neglected children, there's no love in us. But Paul's saying this so that we recognize we are totally beloved. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And imagine the intensity of love between the Father and the Son. With that same intensity, he loves you. The king of the universe, the most sovereign, most loving, affectionate, compassionate being in the universe, the most talented, the most knowledgeable, the highest being in every regard, loves you. Because the Bible tells you so, and that's his character. And don't let your heart convince you otherwise. Let your mind preach that to your soul until your soul catches up.